Ride Report, a podcast from the Master Executive Council of JetBlue Alpha for the Union Pilots of JetBlue. Now from New York, Ride Report. Well, hello once again, fellow JetBlue pilots and other podcast listeners. Welcome back to Ride Report. I'm your host, J.R. Hall. Continuing series here in a very, very big, comprehensive document that we've heard about for quite a while in different LOAs and MOUs. We covered uh, a lot of the, the housekeeping, the business aspects of how Central Air Safety will function in relation to the company with our first episode on uh, Safety LOA 16. And now we're going to get into a little bit more of the finer points in some of the different sections within the LOA shore, but how they relate to the individual committees and subcommittee structure that exists under uh, Central Air Safety, which to recap real quick, ASAP, LOSA, FOQA, all of these are subcommittees that work in concert with Central Air Safety. But beyond that, There are several other committees that may not be related to a safety program, but serve a a critical function of system safety. And uh, we'll get into those committees here and specifically into uh, one that does a whole lot of work. We might not hear from them an awful lot. And believe it or not, that is a very good thing. But to get started here on Ride Report on episode two of Safety LOA 16, I'd like to welcome back uh, Central Air Safety Chair Blake Kelly. Blake, how are you? Good, JR. Good to be back. Two new guests here that are making their debut on Ride Report. First is going to be FOQA Subcommittee Chair Captain Tim Winger. How are you? Glad to be here, JR. Glad to finally be invited to participate in one of your podcasts. We knew it was going to happen sometime. That's right. Captain Scott Johnson, A220 Captain and Chairman of uh, JetBlue Alpha's Accident Investigation Committee. Scott, thanks so much for making some time in your day to come in and uh, talk to us about your committee. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for the invitation. Glad to be here. Before we get started, Blake, we're going to talk specifically accident incident investigation with Scott. Um, we're going to talk specifically focal with Tim. We've, we made a good mention of this in the first episode is there are definitions contained within the LOA that are literally sprinkled into the many different sections of the LOA. How those individually play into some of these programs, is there any we might want to cover before we get into accident investigation in FOQA? Thanks, JR. Yeah, there's a, there's several key definitions. Uh, and again, it's important to understand uh, the definitions, especially when they relate to the provisions in the LOA. A few, and we're probably going to dig into these a little, a little further as we discuss uh, the various provisions and language. Uh, first, I guess, related to the Accident Investigation Committee and, and the LOA section regarding them, uh, there's some key definitions on the definition of an accident or an incident. And those are pretty much industry standard terms uh, that are defined either by the NTSB or they're defined um, by ICAO in the in the world uh, definition sense. So uh, those terms are important to understand because those those terms will activate certain provisions of the LOA regarding that section. But some of the key ones that are far more complex um, and very key, and we're spent a lot of time in, as we discuss this with the company and agreeing on these. First is aircraft data. Um, aircraft data right now before this LOA really was just defined in our flight operations manual. Uh, and it defined the various sources of data that come off an aircraft. Um, we've taken that definition, we've expanded on it uh, to be as inclusive as possible, especially with the evolving 
technology that's on our aircraft. Think about CPDLC, ADSB, and also uh, Wi-Fi. So that is covered in the definitions. Uh, we also coined a new term, um, pilot performance data. And that's really not data that just only comes off the aircraft, but uh, other devices and components and systems we interface with that uh, relate to our operation of the aircraft. So that is a new term that is covered here. And then information is a very key definition. Um, that's really, again, you take the data either off an aircraft or that pilot performance data term I mentioned, and a lot of analysis and transformation of that data. Uh, we want to capture that, that information as well. That's the, that's the information term. Uh, because we also want to make sure we capture the protections related to that, even though you take the data off and you start manipulating it, analyzing it, putting in slides, putting in charts, it's still protected data. So we've defined that as well. Very good. Scott, let's move to you and, and your committee first and foremost. Sure. With the Accident Investigation Committee, quick history. Why ALPA maintains an Accident Investigation Committee and if you could as well, give us a, a bit more insight on the, the work of the committee, the training that goes into it. How many reps do you have volunteering for the committee as well? Sure thing. The ALPA Accident Investigation Committees and training is really setting the bar for the industry standard. It, it is just fantastic training. We have nine members right now, uh, which we're considering fully staffed. They come from different backgrounds. Um, you know, we have one person who's uh, human factors and flight safety, and another one uh, who has an AMP certificate, and several people who are or were Czech airmen. Um, so they come from very different backgrounds. We also try to even have them in different geographic locations in case you have to respond to something major. You can't have everybody coming from one place. For as far as the training goes. Um, you know, it's a fairly, you know, expensive committee to stand up and not so much to maintain, but you go through the initial uh, accident investigation or safety, general safety, I guess I'd say for, for ALPA, you do a three-day course and then you do um, basic accident investigation, another three-day course. But the really fun one, an interesting one is you then do advanced accident investigation out at University of North Dakota where they set it up where there, in our case, there was a 727 out in the field and you respond to it like it's an actual accident. It's based on a historical accident on top of that. So you, a major investigation will have several different subgroups. You get a little chance to look at every little possible subgroup that goes through their place so that you're ready so that you're, you're prepared in the event that you have to go out and actually do it. Two follow-up questions for you on that. Hit me. Is the is the training recurrent based or is this, you know, one time training and the committee member moves forward from there? Sure. You can go back out and do it. The uh, advanced action, you can do any of them again. Primarily, we don't. We do some refresher training um, at the air safety forum. Mm, okay. um, and then we also uh, and generally there's the NTSB comes in and does some presentations about different accidents and coverages. Yeah, I think uh, was it last year we did. We were able to participate uh, with the company reps um, on a presentation that uh, the NTSB gave on the Asiana accident in San Francisco. Great refresher around the procedures we will have to follow because, you know, in the end of all of this, we work for the NTSB. We are assistants when we're out there. As far as the structure with Accident Investigation Committee, we're all familiar with the NTSB and there's several other, uh, you know, 
subgroups that work on an individual aspect of one single incident or accident. Is the investigation committee set up in a somewhat similar form, it sounds like? Our committee is probably going to respond more on aircraft type. So if we have something happen with a 190, we have a couple of people that are current on the 190. You know, that's who you would try to to point in that direction with one A220 person and the rest are on the 320. So that's generally, if we have somebody in there that their particular background matches with that airplane type, and that's probably who we're trying to assign to it. Well, let's move into the safety LOA because there is a specific section, section G1 through 8, that goes through quite a bit of, of information there uh, oh, yeah. from initial notifications to who, you know, how, how, how the, how the responders protected. Right. Yeah. Um, and I guess we'll start with the very first question looking through all of this. The biggest question I come away with is yeah. why did all this need to be included? What isn't this kind of like understood that a person's got to go? Yeah. It's a great question. Now it's all contractually obligated to be afforded to the responder. Correct. Currently, you know, historically, the Accident Investigation Committee, uh, working with the company safety reps, we've had an absolutely fantastic relationship. I know some other areas and things can get contentious, but that is not ours at all. They've, they've been fantastic to work with and really open to participating in the events we have and allowing our members participation in what they're doing. But that stuff doesn't always last. Administrations change, temperatures change, different things change. And now it's codified. It's here. This is what we can do. This is what will happen. You know, as just an example, you know, let's say you had something happen in Fort Lauderdale and we needed to respond. And one of our members is on a trip sitting in the crew room going, hey, you're not going to believe what just happened. Well, we now have the contractual language to say, okay, you're done flying stay right there. We'll get you connected with whoever you need to be connected with. Everybody is going off the same sheet of music. Yep. This says, I guess, so you could walk into the chief pilot's office and say, I need these three people removed from their duties. Removes the ambiguity from the situation and allows precise coverage to, to make sure that both parties, as far as I would say, the company maintains some kind of an accident investigation structure as well? They do. They have their own investigators, and there actually are some line pilots that can be part of that. And one of the other things, too, so that there's never a conflict of interest, the LOA says, hey, you're on one or the other. That's it. You can't play well, both sides. Th- and, th- and that's a good point. Is that kind of common at other carriers, or is that setting a, a, a definitive difference between between us. I don't think we're necessarily working against each other. No. The language in the LOA sets up who's going to respond, who can be taken to respond, and who's going to work on which side of the investigation. Scott, can we cover just a couple of... We, we talked about terms quickly with Blake as far as the conversation overall, but more specifically yeah. into Section G, we see uh, a, a go plane or a go team. Yeah. For those that might not be familiar with those terms and having, you know, little or no, you know, safety experience or or having any other, you know, incident uh, that they've been involved in. What are what are those two terms? What do those mean? What, what why are those important? Yeah, so go team for us is the people that we're going to select to respond to the incident or accident. The company go plane is, you know, usually in JFK, they're going to set everything up. They're going to get all their people on there and they're going to launch this airplane. Typically they're going to try and do it within two hours, but it's likely could be two to four hours. 
we sort of had a handshake understanding previously. Yeah, we'll put a couple of your people on there. And now it's written. Yep, you get two seats on this airplane. If we needed more, we likely could get them. But now at least we know, yep, these two people can go. So if you do have somebody that's close by in JFK or wherever they're, they're going to launch from, you know that they're good to go. And I think another great takeaway knowing that is that if somebody reading over this and glosses through and says, oh, okay, well, great, I'm glad we got that. You know, no, when it really comes down to the meat and potatoes, if if somebody is involved in an incident or, you know, God forbid, an accident, that there will be labor representation. There will be a fellow pilot volunteer on that airplane out Absolutely. to get where you are. Absolutely. The other thing that I'm, when I look through some of this language as well, and I'm sure others might agree, is that there, there kind of appears that there might be a large portion of time at which a pilot is removed from duty who is part of this go team. It, it, am I kind of reading that correctly? Yeah, you're spot on. Some a you know, major investigation can take months of of being right, you know, on the scene or part of uh, the team where you have to be ready to respond to whatever the NTSB sets up. So yeah, it's absolutely it could be quite a long uh, process. Hey, with the exception of the QDL. Because we got to get have QDL over. done, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, pay protections, bidding protections, and and being free of duties, so that the the Alpa representative from JetBlue Alpha can have, uh, you know, undivided attention. I would imagine is a is a big reason why. Yeah, because they're going to need it. Uh, you know, these things. You know, God forbid there is an actual real deal uh, hull loss accident it's it's going to be a very long process and there's it's not the kind of thing where they can go out participate go fly a day or two and come back it's got to be the 100 percent focus of their attention as far as us taking care of of our own i i think that's that's something that's ingrained in in what we do that's within central air safety and our various subcommittees there can you speak to some of the other language that allows us the opportunity to take care of other air carriers that we may, the company may maintain a relationship with you, be it, you know, code shares or something like that. Absolutely. And that's a big one because you tend to think that this is going to be a major incident that's on the news and everybody's going to be on the same page about what has to happen. But um, some of this really in that section, uh, I think bullet point seven, a, it talks about you can help another uh, partner airline or any airline. If you have a subject matter expert, another airline as part of an investigation could use, like maybe your person is a meteorology expert or a former air traffic controller. They can, being paid by the association, be pulled from their schedule, pay protected, and take part in another investigation. Uh, as an example, we used somebody when we had an airplane that had a turbulence encounter um, and the NTSB opened an investigation into, into it because there were several other airplanes that week in that area. Uh, that it had some turbulence encounters. Well, we didn't have anybody with a meteorology background, but United did. And so we were able to tap that resource. So it really is, uh, I guess you'd call it like for anybody who has a, a firefighting background, they used to call it mutual aid between different departments. And it's, it's kind of sort of the same thing here for different Alpha carriers. Um, it's not always, you know, big bent metals. You know, the, the image that comes to mind, we talk about accident investigation committee, but a lot of what we do is, Okay, uh, the NTSB wants to do statements from the crew. Okay, so we, we take part in that. Or maybe they're just going to convene a CVR group for something that happens. Okay, 
you now have some representation with you on that. Again, we're working for the NTSB and we're there at their invitation. And if it's okay, if I can address a question that comes up quite a bit, why don't we ever hear about what happened with X, Y, or Z? (laughs) The number one commandment of being part of any of these investigations is thou shalt not share information. Because again, I've been beating this to death, but we work for and are there by at the NTSB's discretion. And that includes the company too. The only person, the only body that is guaranteed to be part of an investigation is the FAA. There have been instances where Brand X Airlines management wasn't forthcoming with some information and they got kicked off the investigation. If anything were to leak out in the media, leak out any place, and they can trace it back to, oh, hey, that was your accident investigation committee member that even accidentally let something out, you can be removed from that investigation and future investigations too. So that's why why it takes so long to hear about the, what happened is it's the NTSB schedule. And it's, if as long as that docket is open, the company and the Alpha side of it cannot talk about it for fear that jeopardizing future need. Future need and current need. We're going to talk here uh, with Tim Winger and Foqua in just a little bit as we're wrapping up our accident investigation section within uh, LOA 16. Scott, we've covered the go plane, how we get a an investigator from JetBlue Alpha to, to the site of the incident or the accident. Are there any other committees that you guys also work with that, that may provide some kind of real-time assistance? Uh, when it comes to something that you guys may be dispatched to. Yeah, and, and talking a little bit too about getting, if there's any sort of a real higher level accident, we're, all the investigators are going to be working hand in hand with uh, SERP. It's just a given because there's a lot of stuff that you're going to be exposed to. It's going to be challenging. So SERP is just such a fantastic tool. We've got PAN, you know, obviously that the pilots can reach out to. And potentially in an investigation, we could realistically interact with literally every other central air safety committee and even outside of central air safety. Captain Scott Johnson from JetBlue Alpha Accident Investigation Committee Chair, thank you for breaking down some of the very crucial components of what was included for uh, accident incident investigation within the safety LOA. One one last question to go again back to the go plane. Um, sure. Let's say a, a an, an incident accident has occurred and for some reason, it's it's the person that's going to respond that's out of position, right? You mentioned Kennedy might very well be where that airplane gets dispatched from. Um, yeah. But if, if they're out in the system somewhere, uh, is there any mechanism included within the safety LOA to ensure that that, that individual can make it within a timely fashion to, to the scene? Yeah, absolutely. Because the reality is there chances it's great to have the go plane it's a resource we definitely uh, we need that but realistically there's also a pretty high chance that somebody is going to be going from home or from an overnight somewhere like that so uh written in the transportation section of that it talks about um the company will reasonably assist a- any investigator uh or cert member actually including positive space travel on JetBlue or other airlines uh i have a friend that responded to uh, an accident years ago and he told the story of trying to get there and he missed three jump seats trying to get where he needed to be and finally uh, 
there was a guy who was giving a line check and he told the line check captain what was going on. He goes, all right, well, the line check's canceled. You're taking my jump seat. Get there. With something of this magnitude, you just, you can't have it come down to that. So this, this carve out for the transportation is just huge. Scott, thank you so much for joining us today here on Ride Report and going through some of these aspects and, and to you and, and to the entire committee. Thank you guys for, for being prepped and ready and trained for uh, when we're going to need you most. You bet. And if anybody listening has any specific questions they want to answer, just scottw.johnson at alpa.org. Well, transition away from uh, aircraft investigation, let's go jump into FOQA. Near and dear to my heart, as I know it is our next guest, Focal Committee Chair, Captain Tim Winger. Tim, how are you? Thanks for joining us. Great to be here. Thank you. I'll throw the first question out to you, same as I did to Scott. Why the need to include it in this LOA and, and ensure that we've got the language in there? Great. Yeah, good question. You know, if you're listening and you've been at JetBlue for a while, you might think to yourself, well, all this stuff was already in the FOM. We already had data protections. What's the difference? The advantage of, of moving away from a company document like the FOM and putting you know all these data protections and definitions that Blake spoke about earlier into an agreed upon agreement between the union and, and the company just, just really helps protect our pilots just down the road if there were issues or, or misunderstandings between how data is used. It just provides much better protection to our pilots and it's a lot cleaner uh, getting, getting these data protections into an agreed upon uh, document instead of in a company manual. We're going to talk about aircraft data and what it means specifically here in just a little bit with you and Blake. But when it comes to aircraft data and FOQA, just as a refresher and as a gatekeeper, how does that aircraft data come into play uh, between a regular JetBlue line pilot and the FOQA program? Of course, you know, aircraft data is the central theme of the FOQA program. That's what we're doing is analyzing aircraft data. FOCA is a little interesting in, in our partnership with the company as, as gatekeepers is, is unique in that we have data, obviously, as everyone knows, being recorded every flight you take. There's a card in either a card in the avionics bay of your aircraft or a wireless card that's transmitting your data as soon as you block in, depending on the aircraft that you're on. This data is going all over the place. It's eventually being captured by our FOCA team and then being sent off to our business partner that we use for FOCA analysis. What's unique in, about this program that's that's really great is, A, it's very data rich. I mean, we're talking, you know, up to a thousand flights a day being captured, all that data being put out there, analyzed and processed and all that stuff, and then get sent back, you know, analysis type form to the company and both to the gatekeepers. What, what we're really in a unique position as, as gatekeepers and what this, what this agreement really codifies for us is, our ability to interface with the flight crew that may be associated with FOQA data. And that's really where it comes down to uh, as far as, you know, why these data protections are so vital and why we put them in here. We have a lot of aircraft data, f pilots that are involved in FOQA events, be it something benign like a TCAS-RA or, or an unstable approach or, or something a little bit more crazy or hectic like a JIPWIS pull-up event somewhere. We have... A, a very good process that allows for our gatekeepers to interface with the flight crew without any knowledge of who that flight crew is back to the company. We have a very, a very robust procedure and policy that goes a long way to protect our pilots, to protect their confidentiality so they can feel comfortable talking to us so that we can find out the pilot side 
of what we're seeing in the aircraft data. And specifically to the gatekeeper, it was one of the provisions that was signed early, early on in the safety LOA process, but the transition to a full-time uh, gatekeeper. Exactly. How, how, does, how would a pilot get in touch with the gatekeeper? Does the protections of FOQA like you're talking about, does it go both ways? Could a pilot pick up the phone and call the gatekeeper and, and be afforded the same the absolute same protections in that manner versus the gatekeeper calling the pilot? Oh, sure. That's a great question. And it was interesting. You said earlier about the investigation committee. It's the great little committee you hope to never hear from. We're the great little committee that you may hear from from time to time. But we also, yes, the, the, the uh, protections work both ways. It's rare, but occasionally we'll get a, a call or an email or whatever from a pilot that'll say, hey, you know, I had this happen on my flight and it was strange, or I had this alert. Do you mind giving a look at it? The beauty of, of, of this LOA and really of, of the FOCA program in general is that uh, having these gatekeepers that can do this analysis for the pilot without having to involve the quote-unquote company, our safety analytics team, who I do trust completely, but uh, I think there's uh, you know just a lot of comfort level on the pilot side that, hey, I had this weird thing happen that's a data issue. I I feel more comfortable if a, a peer of mine, a fellow pilot at JetBlue could look into it for me. We can absolutely do that. And you're, you're protected all the way around in that case. And with the transition of full-time gatekeepers for, for those scoring along at home came also uh, a door to open for crosstalk. And, and we won't get into that just yet, just a couple minutes more when we talk about aircraft data and pilot performance data with crosstalk. What what is the business end when I when I look through the safety LOA and I see a a, a FOCA monitoring team an FMT, what what does that mean to the line pilot? Is that is that the the business output of of the conversations that we have, or or is it something totally different? Yeah, the FOCA monitoring team is really the the heart of of how all of this aircraft data gets actioned really on, on the on the low end. So we have, obviously, the data comes in. We have company folks on our analytics team on the safety department that look at it. They're running data analyses, trying to identify, you know, bigger picture things like where are we seeing trends and issues uh, system-wide, or even we've had this individual event that's interesting that we want to dive into and, and run an analysis on. And then, of course, on the gatekeeper side, we're the ones that can look at for lack of a better word, the identifying information with an event, as I, as I touched on earlier, that allows us to reach out to the flight crew member to get their side. All of that then filters up through what we call our FOCA monitoring team. And this is a team that meets twice a month. This is all, again, this is all now mandated pretty heavily in this LOA, AR participation and how often they meet, et cetera. It's comprised of, of course, the company folks on our analytics team, the, the aircraft, uh, assuming flight safety, management folks on the company side, as well as our flight standards. We have flight standards representation at that meeting uh, from every fleet. And of course, us uh, in ALPA. We do have training uh, folks that participate as well. And the idea is this is our output for the FOCA program, both on the company and the ALPA side to say, hey, here's what we're seeing. Here's a trend that we've identified. For example, right now we're looking into go around events and you know, how well and things that we're seeing during go-arounds. That is a joint study being conducted by an analytics team on the company side and us as Apple folks on, the, on our side, helping them to develop uh, measurements and events and things to look at for go-arounds. All of that information gets shared between us 
and then sent over and we discuss it at our focal monitoring team meetings. And the idea is there we have subject matter experts from flight standards, from training who can say, yes, this is an issue. This is a problem or, or we need more information or, okay, I, I like what I'm hearing here. Here's how we, we want to either mitigate or, or fix what we perceive here as a safety threat, whether it be something as benign as let's put something in the airport briefing guide to, hey, let's throw something in the QDL, continuing qualification, or, hey, this might even warrant a, a procedure change uh, in our FCOM or FOM. That's the beauty of that team. It's it's how we action all this information we're gathering from Folkweb. I want to throw one more question on top of that uh, when it comes to a specific provision within the safety LOA. And, and I'll... I'll set the table by saying FOQA, the safety program is is run by the company. It's funded by the company. The company pays for the software. They pay for our analysts that we work alongside with in going through all this aircraft data as well. We now within the safety LOA have an opportunity to ensure that that relationship continues, right? Oh, absolutely. It, it really takes everything we've been doing and just codifies it so beautifully in the end of the day, we both have, you know, you talk about what's your agenda here uh, as the union? What's your agenda as the company? The, the truth is we both have the same agenda here. We're, we're safety professionals and we're trying to identify and mitigate safety risk. This LOA is a, is a way to do that. That helps us on the Alpha side, you know, do our jobs and, and understand, you know, where we fit into all these safety programs. And then we talk about just the individual pilot. I think we have this pretty airtight LOA and, you know, Blake was talking earlier about all these definitions, you know, why are we bothering discussing definitions, the boring part of any, you know, any agreement that you ever look at. The reason we spend so much time identifying what is aircraft data, what is pilot performance data, what is information, define it. And then later on in the document, we talk about how all that information is protected. We have an airtight definition of what all these things are, how the pilot is protected and how this data cannot be used against them. And the end of this really makes it so that if you're a pilot at JetBlue and you get a call from a gatekeeper and there's any takeaway that I would want pilots to, to come away with if they're listening to this podcast, when you hear from us, a gatekeeper calling you from Alpa, you can feel completely confident that you have complete confidentiality and protections from this LOA, and you can be completely open and honest with us. Sometimes we're calling you about a pretty benign event, or sometimes it might be something fairly serious. Uh, the beauty of this program is this is a private conversation between us, the gatekeeper, you, the pilot. You can be completely open and candid with us. You don't try to have to make yourself sound good or make excuses. You can raise your hand and either say, you know what, ATC put me in a bad spot here, and that's how this occurred or the procedure, I tried to follow it and it led me down an, an, a path that, that really put us in a bad spot, or frankly, I messed up, um, but here's how we can all learn from it. Here's how I came to make these decisions that led us into this unstable approach or whatever it may be. The point is the gatekeeper that's calling you is on your side, is protecting you and making sure that you are completely protected and that everything you say is completely confidential. No one will ever know who you are, who is involved in these events. And that includes the other gatekeepers, even internally between the gatekeepers. If, if, if I'm doing a gatekeeper contact, I don't ever share who that person was with JR or other two gatekeepers. We really, we really go out of our way to make sure our pilots are protected. And that's the main takeaway I want our pilots to have. You are protected. 
when the gatekeeper calls, please answer or please call us back and be completely open and honest and know that you are protected and we, we are on your side and we have your back. And I'd love to transition now to, to talking a lot more about the foundation of those protections. Bring in Central Air Safety Chair Blake Kelly as well. Specific to aircraft data and pilot performance data, data voice recorders, there's a crosstalk component in there on how some of the other uh, safety programs can, can communicate with data. But the overarching theme is that all of this is protected in terms of the pilot. What would be the best place to start? A good high-level overview on so, what some of those protections are? Sure, I can give a quick high-level overview of, of how we've set this up. Um, you know, first, I think Tim touched on it. You know, why, why is aircraft data protected and why, why do we call it aircraft data? Is that, um, you know, FOQA, you know, in the real term is, is a subset of that data. We're pulling from various sources of the aircraft. Uh, if you think way back when Focal first started, it was something coming right off the recorders. Now it's coming off other devices, you know. So it's it's a term that, you know, we wanted to make sure it was clearly understood that uh, there's a difference between aircraft data and Focal data. And pilots and a lot of other people in the company aren't going to understand the difference, but the aircraft data needs to be protected. And that's that's the whole package. That's everything on the aircraft. And that's why we spend a lot of time on that definition. And then there's other components about how the pilot interfaces with the aircraft, but also other things we use, right? Other components or devices, you know, our iPad, for example, relating to the performance of our job, which is the operation of the aircraft. So we need to cover that. And then of course there is FOQA data, the literal data that Tim and, and JR, you, you guys work with all the time and, and making sure that's even more sensitive data that we utilize for certain purposes that needs to be protected. So defining all of it was very important. I think as pilots, we understand that the industry is moving fast and technology is evolving. So this is very much a refresh. I mean, our, our counterparts, our other peer airlines have a lot of these policies in place, but they are written some of them 10 or 20 years ago. And so aircraft has evolved and data has evolved. So we've addressed all that. So I think, I think the first thing is uh, this section clearly outlines what that data can be used for. So there's some guardrails of this, isn't, this data isn't used to go hunt down pilots, right? It, it's meant to improve operational efficiency or safety and, or engineering and airworthiness of the airplane. So we, we kind of put some guardrails there. We talk about recorders, you know, if a recorder is going to be pulled, there's some rules about who can make that call notification to the association about it happening and if they're going to actually read out data there's a little bit about how we're going to be notified and if we have an ability to review that data with the company but to the protections which are, i think are the keyest aspect um, that that tim talked about is if you look in our cba section 26a 2 and 3 um, specifically 2 it we had protections from flight data recorder being used against pilots for discipline. We've improved on that saying all the data, that's aircraft data, pilot performance data, information cannot be used against a pilot for discipline. That is taking all those data sources and making sure a pilot cannot be disciplined based on it. We've also even gone further. So while we obviously as pilots are concerned about this data being used against us in discipline, mm. we've also limited even talking to a pilot 
how will that work when there's any data involved and narrowing what that is usually primarily through a gatekeeper. There's a few other situations where data is pulled in and other matters. And we could talk a little bit about more about that in that section, but it is very narrow that really any interaction with a pilot regarding data will have someone from the association involved. Uh, if not primarily done exclusively through a gatekeeper. And that probably in, in an all effort maintains, yes, the protection, but, but being able to speak to somebody who also shares the same language, right? Cause I, I would, I'd have to imagine that anybody else on behalf of the company just may not be a certificated airman. Yeah. One is the subject, subject matter expertise of knowing how to talk to the pilot, but it's also just the comfort level of the pilot. Um, one of our key roles, as Tim mentioned, where how do we fit in, is that we help facilitate the pilot's participation in the safety program. And I think the easiest thing we can do, especially by setting up in this way, is we help make the pilot comfortable, make the pilot understand what the primary purpose here. It's much easier and you're more forthcoming to talk to a peer pilot uh, about what's going on rather than having a room full of people or having a company official that might have a perception of some authority, you might not be willing or as forthcoming as, as we actually want you to. Right. So as Tim said, they, you know, you want full truth of what occurred so we can better understand what happened so we can then understand what we can do to prevent it. I think something that, that did jump off the page for me and we talk about aircraft data and, and, all that is is pretty well understood, but there's probably one that we might not think about uh, in in this term when it comes to uh, ACARS data or recorder data. And and there's a piece within Safety LOA 16 that's that uh, names ACARS specifically. We use it all the time. What is that speaking to ACARS wise as far as the safety LOA is concerned? That, that really came out of, as we discussed, we're just in these, uh, in these discussions, we were, we were talking about recorders. We're talking about aircraft data. Um, we wanted to make sure again, as we're negotiating, talking or discussing or negotiating something like this, we, we want to make sure how we're interfacing with CBA and already current provisions that already exist in the CBA. And so as we were expanding on those provisions in this section, we wanted to make sure that that was clarified more detail uh, of how to comply with that section of the CBA, how it would exactly be done. Uh, there's a whole process now in section C4 that talks about how that's going to happen now. Let's take a deep breath and jump into pilot performance data. Number one, what the heck does it mean? And Number two, how how far reaching is pilot performance data? Because if we all sit back and you know do a self diagnosis, I mean, is that how I flew the airplane? Is that how I checking in for work? What 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 is the scope of that that term pilot performance data? It's a good question, Jr. I mean, again, as I mentioned, we're trying to stay ahead of the industry and the technology and the applications of this data going forward. So while we, we worked really hard on the aircraft data definition, talking about all the different sources of data that can come off an airplane, um, we really need to take a step back and, and we really took this from other carriers that ha have implemented this, this, this term is what about all the other data and systems and technology that a pilot 
can be utilized or, or, or be around them in the operation of the aircraft. Yeah. So, yeah. so we got to think about that, uh, because, uh, and, and for example, if you read the definition, it doesn't only talk about your interaction with an aircraft, but your interaction with the simulator, right. Or a training device. So we've, we've, we've broadened this to our entire scope of what we can work within as a pilot, um, all the devices and technology we might touch that measure our performance in the operation of an aircraft and then put some guardrails around how that data can be used. Again, there's applications of that technology that could be beneficial in training or beneficial in, uh, tr um, you know, line operations training or improving safety, but there's a little bit of concerns you can, you can imagine as a pilot of, well, how far can you take that? You know? Um, so that's what's covered in, um, throughout this section, but specifically section C7 that has some limitations about how that data can be used. Okay. So when it, when it comes to another section, Tim, we talked real quick in FOCO about full-time gatekeepers and, and how everything under that MOU, uh, which is now part of the safety LOA, I know fell the bouncing ball, gave way to full-time gatekeepers. And it's a it's a program called crosstalk. There there are definitely airlines that have uh, crosstalk in in practice. It's definitely not something that's been shown to be perfect right off the shelf, ready to go implement. Um, and it's something that we know that we would like to transition into. And it was also part of this MOU for for those zero idea, zero concept of what crosstalk is. Tim, can you can you break down that program for us a little bit more precisely to to get an idea of what to expect from crosstalk? A lot of people look at you know programs, and I'll talk specifically about FOCA. Gosh, you're sitting on such a mountain of data. Why are you limiting this to just one program like FOCA? Why can't you know if someone has an ASAP report of an incident that happened somewhere? Why can't the ASAP committee then, hey, let's pull up the data and, and take a look and see if we can glean any good safety information out of that? Or if there's a fatigue issue where we're seeing a particular pairing or a particular flight that's that has what is flagging for maybe potential high fatigue, why can't we pull up data on, on that and, and see if there's data to support that, uh, et cetera, and you can go on from there. I think that's something we definitely all want. I think we all agree there is a lot of safety value to having programs like ASAP, Fatigue, FOQA, what have you, to be able to talk back and forth to each other. And kind of in the, the building block mentality of you, you'd start with one block and you build quickly around there. And to this example, starting with the protections for the pilots to participate in these programs. Blake, question for you, when it comes to crosstalk and knowing that we're still putting these pieces together, to be unequivocally clear right now, we do not have crosstalk, but we are looking forward to introducing crosstalk soon. Am, am I getting that correct? Yeah, JR, and I could add a little of why we are where we are. Um, in, the, in the time of these discussions um, and at the recording of this podcast, only two alpha carriers in industry have crosstalks at their property, a crosstalk program or application. And so it's relatively new, uh, but I will say almost every Apple carrier we're talking to is in some form of discussions with their company uh, uh, implementing crosstalk or developing it. So when we were in discussions, I mean, we had the car up on the jack, we had the hood open, it was time to, everything was on the table. And the, the question was, why not, you know, roll this all out, including with crosstalk. But 
there's a lot of nuances with crosstalk. Obviously, its benefits and the potential of it are, are, are something that the association and the companies support in app, applying it to safety. But there are nuances of the protections in certain situations and what will happen. You know, uh, the most common application that we're talking about is, in, is, is tying together ASAP and FOQA and allowing information to cross between those two programs. But ASAP and how HIT's designed and with FOQA do operate differently. And so there are situations and scenarios that we have to discuss. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, what we agreed to with the company is let's pause. Uh, let's walk before we run. Because again, as I mentioned, the carriers that do have it have a lot of maturation in their ASAP and FOQA programs with the contractual language and practice in place for a long time before they endeavored down that road. So we, we, and if you read in the focus section, we basically say crosstalk cannot be implemented unless agreed to by the association, put a pause on it. MOU 18 is exactly that agreement that we will, uh, we've agreed to work with the company on discussing how to implement crosstalk as now that LOA 16 is done. Um, so we certainly will go down that road. I, I can expect the pilots can expect that uh, they'll hear more about it, more education about it as we work out these few uh, concerns that we might have and, and get something implemented. And from your vantage point as Central Air Safety Chair and coordinating with others, uh, other ALPA properties, how, how far away are we from doing this? Are there any pain points that you see within this program uh, right now watching other carriers kind of go through these, these first steps of, of fully maturing the program? Yeah, and that's one of the great resources ALPA is able to bring um, uh, to the table is, is being able to reach out to our counterparts and, and learn from them. What worked, what didn't work? How was their rollout? Did they have hiccups? Did they have events that caused it uh, to fail? Um, so we are able to get all that information and learn. And so as far as your question of how long would it take, I think it really depends on how the discussions go uh, with the company. I mean, there's always a balance of yeah, I know that XYZ airline does it that way, but we want to do it a different way because we are sometimes a different airline. We want to do things uh, that work for JetBlue, and I understand that, but sometimes it's why reinvent the wheel uh, when uh, there are issues that other carriers had in rolling out their programs, or there is now a industry best practices to grab onto, and it's balancing that, and it depends on at the table. You know, we got to make sure that Tim and Captain Mike Bohr, who's our ASAP chairman, and myself, as well as the company leadership, are able to all look at how this is designed and go, we're comfortable with it. We're confident the pilot should be comfortable with it. Um, and that the company will get what they, what they would like to see from a safety benefit. And a perfect segue into our next uh, episode, episode three over the safety LOA. I know these are kind of long, but we want to make sure that we're precise in giving you, the JetBlue pilot, the most information we can to allow you to find the document and get comfortable with it so that you understand a little bit of what's going on with this language and a little bit of how these programs are going to continue to run now with enhanced protections so that you're not learning it after you already need it. And I, I know that's, Blake, you've said that in the first episode and, and going forward into ASAP, which is a program we'll talk about in the next episode, it, it couldn't be more important. Central Air Safety Chair Blake Kelly Focal Committee Chairman, Captain Tim Winger, and Accident Investigation Committee, Captain Scott Johnson. Guys, thank you for spending the time out of your day today to come in, talk to us all 
about some of the finer points of your individual sections within uh, Safety LOA 16. Future episode coming up here very soon. We'll sit down with uh, ASAP Chair Captain Mike Bohr. We'll talk safety investigations as well with Blake Losa, which is something that's coming up here probably pretty soon. SMS and, and a couple other sections as well on a future episode. Guys, thank you so much. Thank you, JR. Thank you. Thanks, JR. Ride Report, a podcast from the Master Executive Council of JetBlue Alpha for the union pilots of JetBlue.